Well, I invite you to turn with me to Romans uh, chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. And I want to read the first seven verses. And uh, so let's hear God's word. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good's conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For the same reason, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, Revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honour to whom honour is owed. So we're in uh, chapter 13, and, and in this section, uh, Paul is, uh, which is started in chapter 12 onwards, Paul is applying um, the gospel to different aspects of life. And so we had, uh, we noted last week, we had uh, something like 43 uh, distinct commands, uh, imperatives, things to do. Um, and uh, in chapter 13, he continues in the same vein, but now a bit more slowly. So chapter 12 was a bit like a machine gun, do this, 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 this. Um, but now he's going a bit more slowly because he's dealing with the question of how the Christian should relate to the state, how the government, the, the authorities uh, and you know, if the gospel is true, and if you have come to trust the Lord Jesus Christ, and you have a new master, Jesus Christ, having been redeemed from slavery and the tyranny of sin, uh, what about those other authority structures in life? What about the state? What about the government? So you have you're all under Jesus Christ as Christians. He is our ultimate authority, but what what are we to do with those other uh, authority structures that we meet in life? Uh, For Paul, more specifically in the first century, what about the power of Caesar or of Rome? Uh, Especially as uh, the emperor of Rome uh, claimed absolute authority in conflict with the fact that Jesus is Lord. So only Jesus is Lord, but what about the emperor? How are we supposed to handle uh, the emperor? Um, So, and it's it's interesting that Paul raises that question here for for this church in Rome. 
And it's not the only time that he, he raises the question of what to do with the governing authorities. Um, he writes about it in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2. Um, somebody lost. <laughs> he writes about it in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and in Titus chapter 3. And Peter spoke about it in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, submission to authorities. And so why the, why the concern here uh, in Romans 13? And I think it's true to say that there were some subversive, uh, amongst the Jews uh, that were converted to Christ, there were some subversive elements um, that took offense at uh, Roman rule. Uh, you can think, for example, of Simon the Zealot, one of the twelve disciples, um, a former freedom fighter, but now following Jesus Christ. And uh, Simon the Zealot was in one of no end of the number of rebellious groups fighting against the Romans. And perhaps the concern that, that the apostles and Paul has for the fledgling church in Rome is that they they simply didn't import those political ideas into the church um, so that the church becomes a kind of militant political organization. Um, But instead, in this area, like many other areas of life, um, they have their minds transformed by the gospel rather than conformed to the world that they live in. Um, So what does Paul say about uh, these authorities? Well, he begins straight away. Uh, Verse 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Now, that might have been a surprise to to first century Christians. After all, uh, in Rome, uh, Nero was the the emperor at the time. And he wasn't exactly a friend of the church. uh, It's probably under Nero that, that Paul was put to death as a Christian. And then later... uh, uh, Christians were uh, blamed for the, the great, you know, the fire of Rome, uh, and uh, therefore were put to death as a result. So Nero is no friend of the Christian Church, um, and Paul therefore has got a bit of an uphill battle, I think, to to make the case for submitting to authorities uh, with somebody like Nero in power. But he has to make the case and. Uh, in verses 1 to 4, he shows that uh, the powers that be have divine origin. That's where he begins. And then verses 5 and 6, uh, he talks about how the, how the Christians should view, therefore, the state. And then in verse 7, what Christians are to do about it. Uh, and that's really what we're, we're going to look at this evening. Uh, so, so the first thing this evening is, is the authority of the state comes from God. The authority of the state comes from God. And Paul begins by making that, uh, this blanket statement, uh, the second sentence in verse 1, for there is no, no authority except from God. Now this is true by virtue of the fact that he has created all things. God has created all things. And so he is the ultimate source of all authority, whatever authority a person may have or a creature may have in this created cosmos, whatever authority one has, it has to be derived authority from God. Whatever position you're in, whether you're Christian or not. And 
There is no alternative authority to God that doesn't, isn't actually given authority. God gives all authority. So there's nothing that has authority that God hasn't already given. Um, and so it's derived authority. There's only one God, and there are no other gods. And whatever gods people think there are, are not gods at all. So God is the, has the ultimate authority. And so the authority that the state has, and any other sphere of authority, like parents over children, or employers over employees, or teachers in your school, or, or whatever position of authority people may have, all of that comes from God. And that's really important in our day. Uh, one of the problems we have in our Western society is a, a constant need to rebel against authority. Uh, to rebel against legitimate, proper authority. And sometimes... Christians bring that into the church. That worldly thinking of rebelling against everything, bring it into the church. And they begin to act and continue to act like individualists with a rebellious streak. That's a danger for Christians, isn't it? We become little kind of sources of authority for ourselves. Because the world tells us that's what we are. So we take it to ourselves and we think we can just reject anything that we don't agree with. But God has appointed all authority. And it's really important we think these things through. And it's here we need to think about, uh, you know, in this passage, we need to think about the relation of the state to the church. And now we understand that Jesus Christ is, is Lord and King of the church. And Jesus Christ uh, has built the church through his word. He's continuing to build his church through the word. You know, as people, as the word is preached and people become believers in Jesus Christ, so Jesus Christ is adding people into his kingdom and he is building the church. And Jesus Christ is the head of the church. He's in charge. He is the, the head of the body of the church. So we're the body and he's the head and he's in charge. He gets to think things through and tell us what to do. And so we we sing with all our hearts, Jesus is Lord. On the other hand, the state, where does it get its authority from? Uh, By virtue of the fact that it's part of the created order that God has made. And that's different from the church, but nonetheless, it is subject to God. All authority is subject to God. And what's interesting is that that now that Jesus has risen from the dead and ascended into heaven to take his place by his Father's side, he is, as Ephesians one twenty one puts it, he is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave, gave him as head over all things to the church. And so we have these two institutions, uh, the church on the one hand and the state on the other. The church on the one hand is a saved, redeemed people of God through the cross, and the state is part of the created order, um, but it's also answerable to Jesus Christ. So we have these two institutions, the church on the one hand, 
and the state on the other. Are these two things the same? The answer is no. We need to make a distinction between the church and the state. So let's think about what the differences are. In addition to how they originate, there's a difference in how they originate, which we just discussed. There are three other differences between the church and the state. Firstly, the state has a different set of objectives. If you look at verses 3 and 4, you'll see that it's concerned about temporal concerns. It's concerned about this life, not heaven. It is concerned about conduct in society. And any kind of interaction between human, within human society. Um, and, it sh- and should stand as a terror to bad conduct and gives approval to good conduct. That's there in verse 3. And therefore, a system of law is appropriate uh, with sanctions to deal with bad behavior and encourage good behavior. Um, The church, on the other hand, has a different set of objectives. It is concerned with spiritual well-being and eternal well-being. And so it has a different sphere of operation, the spiritual and the eternal. So different objectives. Second thing that's different is that has different, the state has different means of exercising its power. Um, you'll notice that uh, in verse 4, the mention, it mentions that he, you know, the, the magistrate does not, verse 4, he does not bear the sword in vain. Now the sword, it's not just physically the sword, though it may have been in Paul's time. But it, it, the sword represents power and authority, secular power and authority. And it, it, it represents the administration of justice by, uh, and punishment by the authorities. And in the first century, there's no doubt in my mind that uh, the, the person wielding the sword had the power to take life. The sword was not just to give you a slap in the backside but actually could take your life. So, you know, the death penalty is part of the first century at that time. And that would have been no doubt in in, in the minds of Paul's readers. And so Paul is saying that the state can use, uh, use coercion, physical coercion, to enforce the law. And we know that's true, isn't it? Uh, if you break the law in this land, then... You know, if the police are doing their job right, they'll come and get you and they will arrest you and put your hands in handcuffs and carry you off in a van to jail or to, at least temporarily until you're tried. You know, they can make you do that. They use physical powers to make you do that. Um, and in Paul's time, you could, they could have someone judicially killed the death penalty. By contrast, the church does not use this means to exercise power. It doesn't use coercion or intimidation or anything like that. It's only means, the only means at its disposal are the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. 
That's why um, elders in a church, their job is ministerial. They minister the word of God. They serve up the word of God and call you to obedience to it. But they can't make you do it. Um, So if a sin is committed within the church... The church can't force someone to pay a fine or do community service or, or even put you in prison or anything like that. The church can't do that. can't do anything like that. All they can do is warn you from the word, plead with you, maybe suspend you from the Lord's table or take you off the membership role. That's an administrative role. But that's it. That's all we can do. We can't physically punish you. So, the two institutions have different ways of exercising power. Uh, Thirdly, different systems, they have different systems of administration. Um, The Bible doesn't describe how a society should order itself, what kind of administration it should have. Should it be a constitutional monarchy? Should it be an oligarchy? uh, Rule by a few? A democracy? Rule by many? The people? uh, It doesn't say anything about that. But whoever's in charge, uh, they do not hold the same offices as the church. They are a completely different sphere of authority. Um, So there is a a profound sense in which the church and the state are to be separate. Churches have their own system of government, um, their own office bearers, elders, ministers, and deacons. And, and in the United Kingdom, in the secular realm, we have a system of the crown, uh, the legislature, a judiciary, a civil service, all these things. So elders and deacons are not, they don't have civil influence in the civil affairs uh, as elders and deacons. They're not officers of the state. That's why we said during COVID that, you know, as elders, we, we, we let you know what the government rules were for what you should, should and shouldn't do. But we were quite determined we were not going to be the state's policemen and stop people coming to worship or stop people from not wearing a mask or something like that. We, we were quite determined about that. I was. Uh, we're not the state's policemen. We're not instruments of the state. So, both church and state are answerable to Jesus Christ, but in different ways and in different spheres with different powers and different objectives. So, with this in mind, uh, Christians uh, are to have the right attitude to the state, and the state is not intended to be a rival to the church, nor the church a rival to the state. So, now we come to the second point this evening. What, What is the Christian's attitude to be to the church, to the state. What's our attitude to be? Um, it is to set our hearts to do good, in verse 4, because fundamentally those uh, secular authorities exist for our good. In other words, there is divine purpose in putting in, in this civil structure, uh, putting it in place, um, alongside the church. And so we are to be good citizens of this country. We are to obey the law, pay our taxes, keep the speed limits, not steal or embezzle, and so on. We are to keep the law. We may not like the law, 
We may disagree with the law, but we're still to keep it and use all the appropriate means to change it if we want to. But we don't just individualistically say, no, I'm not doing that. Christians are therefore to be the best citizens in the country. We're not to be subversives. We're not to be automatically to be revolutionaries. Though there may be times when Christians have felt the need to be revolutionary. But on the whole, except in extreme circumstances, Christians are to be the best citizens. Think of Daniel, for example. Uh, deported to Babylon and raised on the king's food and all sorts and trained to be in the household of the, ba- of, of the king of Babylon. And imagine the, the sense of rage and resentment that he could have felt as he was taken away from his homeland, from his people. And yet Daniel was faithful to God and served in that ancient city. And he became a senior figure in the government of the empire because he submitted to the authority that he found himself under. And Christians are to do the same, to submit to the authority that they find themselves under. And there are two motives that Paul gives here. One is uh, to fear the wrath of God. Look at verse 5. Therefore one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, there's another one coming, but for the sake of God's wrath, You're to be in subjection in this way. Um, And in in verse 4, the reason for that is is explained in verse 4. There is a deep connection between God and the state in that the state is an instrument of the exercise of the wrath of God. Did you notice that? Uh, For he is God's servant, so the magistrates, the the person in authority... He is God's servant for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. That's why we need to have a respect for the law, because it is a way that God exercises his judgment for wrongdoing. It means if you're caught speeding, to take a silly example... Um, that's not just, you're not to look at that as the, you know, the, the money-grabbing state trying to get a fine off you. Um, but it's actually God exercising his wrath against you for breaking the law. Think about it. It's not ultimate wrath. It's not the punishment, ultimate punishment for wrongdoing or anything like it. But it is an act of God's uh, judgment on you. Um, and last week we read uh, in 12.19, uh, Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will pay, repay, says the Lord. And one of the ways of doing that, of leaving it with the Lord, is that if someone commits a crime against you, is that you let the law take its course. That's God at work, carrying out his wrath and his vengeance. And the other motive for uh, submission to the authorities in this way is simply conscience. That's what he says in verse, continues on in verse uh, verse 5. But also for the sake of conscience. It should be part of our conscience to obey the law and to submit to authorities. For some of all, uh, 
for some of Paul's readers, uh, they may not have a conscience about this, and you may be, maybe you're the same. I, I've met Christians who, who don't have a conscience about breaking the law, and you should have. Um, but our consciences can be twisted, uh, twisted by the sin of our hearts, and, uh, and don't operate, therefore, properly. And Paul needs to teach Christians like that, and them and us, uh, what is a conscience issue, what should be a conscience issue. Uh, obeying the law of the land is an issue of conscience, and we need to do it. So with this in mind, Paul says in verse 7, Therefore pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Now, nobody likes paying taxes. We like to keep more of our money for ourselves. But if the government uh, creates a law that says you pay it, then you pay it. You owe respect to those who rule over you. We should respect our Prime Minister. We may not agree with his or her politics, but we should respect the office and the position. Respect the Queen, uh, the King. Now, and you know, all of these things are important. We have an honour and respect uh, for the authorities around us. Um, I remember once we used to have somebody in our church who, who worked in the tax office uh, in Birmingham. And uh, I remember she was quite embarrassed about it. Because <laughs> she didn't like the idea that uh, she was working for the state. And, uh, and she had, um, um, and that was a general thing, she didn't like to tell people she worked in the tax office. Because so many people she met um, hated paying tax and ha- hated the HMRC. And uh, so she just avoided the question (laughs) and would talk about something else. Um, But the Bible tells us that this is actually an honorable job. Um, And they should be honored for doing that job. So it's a matter of conscience, and uh, we need to submit to the authorities. Just let me finish off with a couple of questions. Um, uh, There there will be many questions that will come up in a discussion like this. And we, we need to recognize, first of all, that Paul is, is dealing in very absolute terms here. And he's doing so in order to make clear what our basic attitude to the state needs to be. And in a, in a situation where the state is answerable to God, and it knows it is answerable to God, then it's clear that our responsibility is to, to be submissive to the state. Uh, but what if, we, uh, if there are things that we disagree with as Christians... Um, what if there are things that the state calls good and that we do not call good? Uh, for example, suppose the government said it was uh, bad for society that Christians meet together and worship God. I mean, it could happen. It happens in many countries across the world. What if, what if the state were to do that? Then, of course, we, we need to use all lawful means to try to get the state to change its mind. So we can, we can approach through the ballot box, through communication with politicians. We can make lawful protests. All of these things are important things. And we ought to do that and continue to speak the truth uh, of God's word into the situation. But if it goes really bad, what do we do then? And they won't listen. Um, 
In that case, well, of course, we need to obey God rather than men. That was the response of the apostles in Acts chapter 5, wasn't it? The apostles were, t- were arrested and they were told, don't preach anymore, don't preach this gospel anymore, because it was causing all sorts of trouble for the Jews and the Jewish leaders. And uh, the apostles said to the Sanhedrin, we must obey God rather than men. And that's pretty fundamental too. We have respect for the state, but in the end, if the state's telling us to ignore God, we need to obey God rather than men. At one time in in Britain, in the 17th century, the king, uh, a civil authority, sought to exercise authority over the church as well. And, And you could only gather, the situation was such that in England, or in Scotland for that matter, you could only gather in an Anglican church and use the Book of Common Prayer. And uh, there were many Christians, certainly in Scotland, and I'm more familiar with that than uh, elsewhere, but there were many Christians in Scotland who believed that the Bible taught something different. Um, and there were many in England who believed the same. And these, these were Presbyterian Christians. There were many independents as well. But the, these Presbyterian Christians had to meet in secret places, usually out on the moors, out in the, the countryside, where they wouldn't be seen and detected. And they were dangerous times. Uh, it was dangerous to carry a Bible in the 17th century. Because it showed that you, were, you trusted the authority of God's word before you trusted the authority of the king. That was the signal it's, it, that was received. And you could be arrested and thrown in prison if you carried a Bible. And those were times, I think, when Christians feared God more than men. And their consciences were taught by the Bible so that they had a clear conscience in disobeying the law as it was. And friends, there may come a time when as Christians we need to make a stand if the state goes really bad. And we will need to make clear our allegiance to Jesus Christ. In his glorious gospel. And we will do that because our primary allegiance is to him. We are citizens of heaven, saved by grace. And we owe everything to him. And we, we resist it because we care about the people around us. They need to hear the gospel as well. And so we make a stand. And the flourishing of the gospel in a society is one of the goods that the state ought to be upholding and defending. You know, so our king, when he took uh, office, he declared that he would be the defender of the faith. And in Scotland, he declared he would defend the Presbyterian faith. Did you know that? Um, He would defend it. And that's right. The state should defend the church and its ability to preach the gospel. And uh, we hope and pray that uh, uh, he will and the government will. um, But whether it does or not, Christians need to be faithful and do what God commands nonetheless. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for uh, the teaching of your word again. And uh, it not only helps us with our personal salvation, but teaches us how to live in the world. And we pray, Lord, you'd help us to have the right attitudes towards the state Uh, around us to be the best citizens, uh, but above all to uphold the name of Jesus Christ, we pray in his name.